Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. All right, so Shabbat Shalom. We are doing Torah portion. Oh, what number are we on? We are on Torah portion. Tw- I have to look in my Bible. You guys will have to text that out. What Torah portion number we are on, but we are in Genesis 21. So we are in the chapter of Genesis 21. This, I feel like, is the chapter we all have been crawling to get to. <laughs> Uh, going through all the recent Torah portions, including, you know, getting through Sodom and Gomorrah, getting through the chapter where Abraham, you know, lies about his wife again, and, and they're, you know, they're still struggling in their faith and, you know, going through all of that. It's like, we've been talking about this promise that Yahweh has, has given to Abraham since chapter 12. I mean, this promise that he, that he gives, uh, you guys, we're at 25 years. Maybe some of us have felt like it's been 25 years, but it's only been three, four, five weeks. But in the scriptures, it's been 25 years to get to this portion. So when you think about that initial promise to Abraham going from chapter 12 to chapter 20, it was 25 years in between. Um, or I should say maybe not from chapter 12, but from 25 years from the promise of him having having a son. And in the meantime, we've seen all over the place. We saw Ishmael. We've seen movement. We've like literal moving. We've seen wars. Uh, We've seen um, uh, his wife be given to other men. We've seen Sodom and Gomorrah. We've seen Abraham be trained on how to intercede. We've seen Yahweh's name come in multiple different ways. We've seen visitations. We've seen, we've seen a lot. Think about this Thank you. We are in portion 18, chapter 21. So think about, think about this though. Think about our own journeys. Yahweh gives a word as simple as leave. So he gives a word like not, not leave, but leave to go like be sent. He gives a word. And in the midst of that word, you have failure, you have overcoming, you have um, material things, you've got economics, you've got downfalls, you've got favor, you've got sin, you've got uh, training, you've got visitations, you've got revelations, you've, I mean, you've got a, a complete mishap. I mean, when I say a complete mishap, I'm going to take this into my own hands and I'm going to birth an Ishmael. I mean, you, you've, you've got, you've got a, ple- a plethora of things happened in 25 years to get to this point where where the birth of Isaac is at hand, right? This is what we've been, this is, this is like the culmination story in the midst of this 25 years of, wow, a lot has happened, right? I find this interesting that we're in this chapter and there is this matter of fact, anticlimactic, and Isaac is born. It's just this, It's, I mean, it's like, it's seven scriptures. The rest of the chapter has to do with Ishmael and it has to do with a covenant that Abimelech and uh, Abraham make. So we are at the culmination of 25 years and Yahweh goes, yeah, so, so it happens. Moving on. Like, (laughs) I'm just kind of like, okay, hold on. I see birth of Isaac as the, you know, the top part of the chapter. And I read, um, 
it just it happens and so he named him and then he circumcises and then all of a sudden he's weaned like seriously she became pregnant gave birth Abraham names him circumcises him says what his name means we find out Abraham's 100 years old the child is weaned and they throw a feast that's it <laughs> like I so my point in saying that when I read this and I see something like that so 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 dramatically the author knows what they're doing Moshe knows what he's doing if you think about it, if you read any book there is intent with the author everything is intentional like we've we've known that right don't read the, don't read the scriptures as if um you're only knowing the scriptures but you but you're knowing the author and of course i'm talking about moshe but ultimately i'm talking about yahweh right there there's intent to this so when i see something like that i'm like okay what are you getting at and i felt like what he was saying is is that what he wanted to emphasize in this chapter is the perfection of god and not necessarily the story he didn't want us to get trapped up in the story in the details of the story because he really wants to highlight the perfection of who he is and so i think that that i think that that is super um super significant um let's see okay and and we're and we're gonna we're gonna get into we're gonna get into all of that but what he's getting at because I, a lot of this chapter has to do with ishmael and just to kind of throw this out there as kind of a heading, one of the things that we're going to talk about is his goodness. And when he could release judgment, he doesn't. You know, he's releasing um, forgiveness. So, okay, what we see in this chapter is the balance of forgiveness and justice. I'm pretty sure this past week, this Torah portion has read us in the context of forgiveness and justice. And we see that in this chapter, which is to me, absolutely amazing because we are talking about the birth of Isaac. Even though the Torah portion is talking about something else, I'm just saying in the midst of the promise being born, we see Yahweh's justice and forgiveness at the exact same time. Does that not sound like the promised son? <laughs> releasing absolute justice and also releasing absolute forgiveness and we see that play out in this chapter versus the the verses honing in on the story of isaac's birth this is why i just got done saying in the previous message that yeshua is 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 a half truth in the sense that yeshua is just the door to do one thing. So here you've got the exact same thing. I didn't even plan on talking about this. You got the exact same thing. The birth of Isaac, not a big deal because it's pointing to his justice and forgiveness for all of humanity, for generations. <laughs> That's the purpose of the birth. I mean, this just goes along with everything we've been talking about, that there's there's more versus getting hung up. On, I mean, gosh, you guys, this is making me think about a bunch of things that I don't even know if this is going to be sufficient because of, you know, all the history that takes place in all of our, you know, podcasts. But, but it just makes me think about even like the Christmas story. 
you know, Christianity has honed in on that is the reason for all of life is his birth. And here we've got Isaac's birth, seven scriptures. And then moving on, talking about a nation and talking about Ishmael. And, and, and we're going to get into it because, you know, we've already talked about this. There's a lot going on with Ishmael. What he's pointing at is let me tell you what happens with your flesh versus the promise. It, it's the story. It's the gospel. It's the purpose of who he is. That's what he's focusing on. We, we find out in this chapter, I have no tolerance for the flesh to live with the promise. There comes a point where there will be no tolerance for you to reconcile being allowed to live with the birth of the flesh. It's going to get intense. And that only happens after the promised birth has entered into the scene. The focus is on that, not on the birth of the promise. So again, going back to Christianity, it's like the birth is absolutely is important, but for what? That we may not tolerate living with the flesh. Anyways, I don't need to get into all of that, but I just, you know, this, 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 this Torah portion is just so beautiful in how it's laid out because of the literal response to the author saying, okay, here's the promise, moving on, <laughs> not a big deal. And yet it's everything. Okay. So I want to point out, um, uh, I, I want to point out something that is super important. And then I'm going to give an overview of the three things I'm going to tackle in this Torah portion. Um, but the first thing I want to hone in on is in verse two. Let me read it. Then Adonai visited Sarah, just as he had said. And Adonai did for Sarah just as he had spoken. So, um, verse two. So Sarah became pregnant and gave birth to a son for uh, for Abraham in his old age at the appointed time that God had told him. This word "appointed" you find in Genesis one fourteen, the the Hebrew um uh. Strong's is H4150. And the word is Moed. Now we've 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 trained on this and we've discipled on this and we've taught on this, but what this word is is festival. It's an appointed time, Moed, Moedim, the 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 appointed times. What's happening here is we are seeing this appointed time come to pass. And and the actual word is at the festival at the festival. So we're seeing that Isaac is birthed at an appointed time, which is also the word festival, which we also see in Genesis 1. The reason why I point that out is because we are followers of the way, being discipled that we govern the moed, the appointed times. We are to govern those times. And here we see a promise being birthed at that appointed time. But I, I, so again, I just wanted to point out that word actually appointed time is festival. It, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's Moet. It, it's that, it's that time that Yahweh has set aside to make things manifest on earth. So I want, I want to point that out and then I'm going to give some overview and then I'm going to probably break up, uh, my releasing in, um, in sections based on what we're going to talk about.
if that's the direction this goes, you know how, you know how I get. Um, okay, so the three topics that we're going to go over is, um, let's see, how do I want to say this? We are going to go over, um, we're going to go over the, the concept of Ishmael being uh, driven out, cast out, and what that means to us about the flesh. And that there comes a point where it is no longer tolerant anymore. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go over that. Second thing we're gonna go over is which has a lot to do with Yahweh's justice. Then we're gonna go over also though his um I'm trying to think of how I want to say this. His mercy and forgiveness. So you've got justice side and then you've got mercy and forgiveness side. We're going to go over that as well. And then the last thing we're going to go over is the um, and the parallels between Isaac and Yeshua and how this Torah portion points to Yeshua. So again, my heart in releasing the Torah portions is always to reveal his character. So Yahweh's character of justice and mercy and forgiveness is going to be extracted from this Torah portion. And then at the same time, we are going to point to uh, Yeshua through Isaac and the, the seed of Avraham. So those are the things that we're going to tackle. I'm hoping to tackle. Okay. So one other thing I wanted to point out before I go into those three topics is um, how the, how meticulous God's hand is. Um, I just got done releasing about the word festival, like his appointed times, but there's some added aspects to, um, to his appointed times. So I'm just going to kind of like reiterate the, the beginning of the scripture that I've already read, but it says that in the very beginning, then Adonai visited Sarah, just as he had said. And Adonai did for Sarah, just as he had spoken. So Sarah, so he's, he's basically meticulously saying, this is exactly what I said. Um, and he came exactly like just as, right. So there's like a bunch of these, you know, just as, and then, and then I think it moves on because, you know, even Megan talking about our response, Avraham, then I, uh, circumcises just as so so i mean there's let me see if i can find that um just as god had commanded so it's like adonai starts off with this is this is i'm doing this just as i've told you and then avraham's responses and i'm doing this just at just as you have commanded me there's just such intensity in that meticulous aspect of yahweh and his timing and how wh what he says and when he says it and our response to how and what and when and where so that's also um something to think about then there's also something that's super powerful um in let's see Um, if you remember in Genesis 18, Yahweh tells him, 
I'm going to basically, I will return to you. Um, in English, it says, let me see if I can figure out how to, it says in Genesis 18, it says, I'm in Genesis 18, 10, most assuredly, most assuredly, I will return at the time of life and behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. Um, it says at the time of life. A lot of the versions, though, will say at this time next year. Or it, it, do you guys remember that when he said this time next year, I will come to you. Uh, or some some scriptures say in about a year's time. So the English says around a year from now, I'm going to come out. I'm going to come back. And so it kind of gives this context of like, at some point, Yahweh is going to show up, right? I mean, think about Christianity. Nobody knows the time or day at some point, right? When in reality, we know it's very detailed, very meticulous on what he has said and how we will respond. So it says um, in about a year or in about a year's time or at this time next year. But the actual Hebrew word says the time of life. The word is life. Um, so it's basically saying in Genesis 18, it's saying at the time of life, I will come. And now he's saying that again, or we're seeing him come at that appointed time. Again, it's at that time of life. And so I say that because it's recognizing how good he is in his nature, that he knows the exact day, the exact time and has a very specific plan. And this is all throughout scripture because he has an exact, um, he has the exact timing, uh, in, um, uh, well, there's a lot, but I mean, there is the rebuilding of the temple, which is planned out. We've got revelations, which is planned out at this time. When he was giving this scripture, we still had Yeshua that was planned out and, and just that he shows up at that time of life and how specific his plans are. So, um, wanted to point that out before we move forward in those topics. Okay. Moving on to the topics. I hope that I am going to be able to do this kind of as orderly as possible. But so the first thing I want to um, teach on is the justice aspect. I felt like I wanted to release his character on justice first, then move into forgiveness and mercy, and then highlight Yeshua, kind of a, almost like a, a roadmap of, you know, getting us to that place of freedom versus ending on a note of justice, because <laughs> I feel like the justice side is, is, is pretty intense. So, um, there's a couple of things that I want to highlight here. And um, I want to, I want to talk about this kind of uh, play on words in, in the Torah portion. So, so we've already pretty much just, we, we've already talked about the birth of Isaac. I, I mean, we're, we're, we're done already. And all I did was highlight just his timing. <laughs> I mean, that's really all that's, that's released there. So then we move into Ishmael and it's interesting because right before 
we learn that um, Isaac gets weaned, we, we, we hear Sarah say, God has made laughter for me. And I've alluded to this in another chapter when he promises her that, uh, that, there, that she's going to have a son and he's to name him Isaac. We knew that his name meant laughter. So we've already studied that Isaac's name means laughter. Now, this weird play on words here is when we, when we move on, it says, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom he had born to Abraham, uh, making fun. That word making fun is the same word as, 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 laugh, as, as the word laughter. So you, you see this concept of, we're going to get into it, but you see this concept of what something is birthed from is what matters, not the mockery or the laughter. So it's not that I, it's not that Ishmael did something wrong. And so he gets cast out like, Oh, I messed up. This is talking about who Ishmael is at the, at the, um, intent of something. So you can have laughter that can produce joy and you can have laughter that produces mockery and it's what its origin is from is what matters, not the laughter itself. So huge, huge concept here. But I wanted, I wanted to, to point that out because, um, the word is, um, Isaac's name, it's Yitz, it's, it's Yitzhak or Yitzhak. I can't say that. <laughs> um, and then the Ishmael mocking is Mitzhak. So it, I'm, again, I'm not saying that right. Sakik, Yitzhak, something like that. It's Yit, Yitzhak. How do you say it, Justin? It's Yitzhak. Um, yes. Yitzhak. I, I'm getting messed up with the ch. And then the the word for mockery there is mitzikak, so or itzak or something like that. However you say that. So really, they're just really close in words. And the root of it is um, it is super significant. So the root of Isaac's name means laughter, but it has a negative immoral connotation. Let me list out the immoral connotation of this word of laughter. It, and all of these examples are in different areas of scripture. I'm not going to list them out, but it's in Exodus. There's other uh, scriptures in Genesis, but this word is used to describe people who sat down to play in context to idolatry. Um, the Hebrew came in to make sport of me. That uh, equals a sex, a sexual impurity. Uh, in Second Samuel, let them arise and make sport, which has to do with engaging in killing as a sport. So there's this ironic concept that's um, that when this word is applied to Isaac, it carries the happy idea of joy, and when it's in connection to Ishmael, it it carries the sinister uh, characteristic of foul play. Now, the reason why I'm bringing that up is because I want to talk about the origin more than I want to talk about Isaac versus Ishmael, because we've already studied Ishmael and what that meant, which was um, the son of flesh or the son of me doing it on my own uh, uh, versus the promised seed. So in Galatians 4, we've read this before when we studied Ishmael, but it talks about Paul's talking about, um, you know, who basically whose mother are you from? Now, 
I can land on that sentence right there and just sit for a while because the father is the same. So Paul is distinguishing the difference, and this is obvious, but I'm saying it in the spirit for us to catch what's going on. Avraham's the father of both. He birthed something out of his own will and he waited for the promised seed. Both came from him. The difference is who's the mother. So when Paul's saying, which mother are you from? In my, in my interpretation, what he's saying is, for the lack of better words, for me to just say it the way that I want to say it, even though this isn't accurate, which Holy Spirit are you listening to? Now, I'm not saying which Holy Spirit, like there's two, but there is definitely different spirits. So the Father is the same. What is birthed depends on the spirit it comes from. Because it's the difference in the mother, whether it's the son of flesh or the son of promise, which is the spirit or the helper of a thing. So in this, situ- in this situation, the best way for me to explain it is I can come from the father and still be a son of the flesh. <laughs> We're going to get into this whole son of flesh, son of seed, and why Ishmael's cast out. But before I get there, I want to talk a little bit more about this mockery thing, because I think Yahweh is pretty serious about this. People don't get casted out. They don't get cast out because they mocked someone. The issue was the son of Avraham was mocked. So again, I, I'm, I'm wanting to be really bold here because the son of flesh will birth Hasatan. And the son of the seed will birth Yahweh or birth the father or birth kingdom, however you want to say that. Because it's not just mockery, but it's mockery at what? And so basically he's saying, like God is saying, I will not be mocked. And, um, and I think that that's super, um, super significant because it is about the motive, but it's not just the motive, but it's what is it that's being mocked. And so when you recognize that Ishmael is the, depending on which mother he comes from outside of covenant, um, Egyptian, you know, all that, that we've already studied, that is what is coming out of his heart. And Yahweh is saying, I've had enough. I'm not going to let the son of flesh mock the son of the seed or son of promise. And so, um, so there's just kind of, there's kind of a lot going on here um, with that. So just to give some structure to this story, um, I've already said 25 years from now, or it's been 25 years since, since the promise. So 25 years has gone by and about 13 to 14 years Ishmael happened. So to give some context to the story, we've got a young man on our hands. We don't have a little boy. Ishmael was born 
between Ishmael and Isaac, there's 13 years. And so he's either 13 or 14. And this also depends on at what age do we say Isaac is weaned? Uh, some people say that Isaac wasn't weaned until he was three. And if that's the case, Ishmael would be even older. But the youngest Ishmael would have been, would have been Isaac weaned at a year. Um, you know, obviously Abraham's creating a feast and he's eating. So I'm assuming he's more than a year. But either way, Ishmael is 13 years older than Isaac. So at whatever age Isaac is being weaned is the age Ishmael is. So we're talking at least 13, 14 years is this young man of God, young man of Yahweh, um, that is, that is, that is mocking. Um, so I want to, I want to, I want to set that tone and then, um, and then I want to talk about him getting cast out and then we're going to come back to the kindness side. Okay. So I want to point out something. Um, there's this. Sorry, I kind of have some things in a couple of different places that I'm trying to make sure. Okay. Uh, I want to acknowledge a couple things that I think happens with Abraham here. Um, he, he basically... There's this interesting scripture. Sorry, I'm trying to figure out which direction to go. There's this interesting, interesting, interesting scripture here, uh, verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not be displeased about all of this. Basically, what that's saying is, is that Abraham's kind of annoyed. And, and, and we don't really know what he's displeased about. Is he displeased because his son mocked his other son? Or is he displeased? Or is he displeased because um, Sarah is telling him, can, can you get rid of this? Like, we don't know what he's displeased about because um, we do, I, I'm going to lean towards, I'm going to lean towards the fact that he's probably displeased with Sarah. And the reason for that is because Abraham has to say, listen to her. If he was displeased with Isaac, he would have kicked him out, but he wasn't, or we don't know, but, but I'm assuming he wasn't necessarily displeased with the mockery. I think he was more displeased that Sarah said, can we get rid of this? Because Sarah had just said, drive this female slave and her son for the son of the female slave will not be an heir with my son Isaac and then all of a sudden Abraham's you know being acknowledged that he's displeased and so he's got to go to Yahweh about this and Yahweh says you need to listen to your wife okay interesting here two things I want to point out first of all he sought out the Lord this is growth for Abraham because remember in chapters prior when when Sarah said to get rid of Hagar in the first place, he said, whatever you want and just did whatever she wanted. He never, remember, he never sought after Yahweh to seek his advice, to be able to cover his wife in how she was acting. Remember we talked about all that and he, he never, he never became, he wasn't the head of his household by seeking Yahweh on her behalf. At least this time, Sarah gives a suggestion and at least he's talking to Yahweh. I thought that was awesome. So good job. Good job, Abraham. Good job, right? Like he, he, he's seeking out the Lord. Super awesome. Downfall. My perspective on this, and this is speculation, but this is just my perspective, is that one of the reasons why he was displeased with this is it does show that there's an element that Avraham did not want to let go 
of Ishmael. Now, you can attribute that to he's a great father. Who would want to get rid of their firstborn son? But another way to look at it could be, did he want a backdoor plan? Now, I bring this up because I want to make this real. We are at a point in our lives, if Torah is uh, reading us, that we've already acknowledged that we may or may not have, in and of our own means, created uh, a, a manufactured promise. Well, like we said, if you manufacture it, it's going to be birthed regardless. So you might be carrying in your life a promise that you created and you know now that it was not his promise because you have Yahweh's promise also. But how many of us early on in Yahweh's promise says, but what if that doesn't pan out? I've got 14 years under my belt under the promise I created. What if this doesn't make it? Here's my backup plan. So you've got so you've got two two things going on here. We've already learned that Abraham in and of his own strength created Ishmael. But here you've got a situation where he wants to hold on to Ishmael. Why? So that's something for us to evaluate as the Torah reads us that even if we acknowledge, man, that wasn't Yahweh's promise, I did that, that we need to acknowledge that when Yahweh says it's time to get rid of the things that you've created because I only want my seed to reign, you're going to be faced with having to give that up. And you may be displeased with that because you have cultivated, created it, and nurtured it for 15 years. So what happens when you have to seek out Yahweh because your uh, significant other or a family member says, you need to cast this out. And it's like, um, but that might be my backdoor plan. Or what if Yahweh's plan doesn't work? Or I kind of am attached to the things that I've created or that I've done in and of myself. So I don't want to, I don't want to get rid of it. Is, it. is that making sense? So in the beginning, it was us evaluating and acknowledging that we're not birthing an Ishmael. But if we do, he may let us live with our creations for 14 years and then say, I've had enough. Especially if what you've created is mocking the very word of Yahweh. If what you've created turns around and mocks the seed, he is done. And he makes it very clear you listen to your wife. Like in the sense of her word, which is very bold, cast him out. I mean, okay, so can I, can I talk about cast him out for a little bit? How many times have we heard that in Christian lifestyle? Cast it out. I mean, we're talking about demons here. Right? We're always, you're always attacked by a demon. Go get the trash can, cast the demon out. What if Yahweh said, cast out your significance, cast out your abilities, cast out your manifestations, cast out your innovations, cast out anything that you've done outside of me, cast out, right? Cast out your flesh. Those are the things that are getting cast out. The things you birthed, the things the father has, has said is mine. 
And he says, no, those are the things I want cast out, which goes back to what I was saying about Megan's box. Don't just disregard Sodom and Gomorrah like it's not in us because he's casting out sons of flesh. He's not casting out a demonic spirit that's like intruding on you. He's casting out the very thing you created. I really wish we were in person. I hate doing this. All right. Um, and I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. God is basically saying there is no reconciliation of the flesh. There is no coexistence. The son of flesh needs to be put away forever. This goes back to a little bit about what I was saying about the son of flesh will birth the very enemy of Yahweh, which is the same thing as Hasatan. And he's saying, look, for 15 years, I allowed the weeds and the, and the, and the, um, and the plant to be raised together. But at some point you will, you will have to separate because I am, there is no reconciliation between the flesh and the spirit. You cannot, you cannot have both. So, so he's casting out the flesh, especially when the flesh gets to a point of maturity that decides I'm going to mock truth. He'll cast it out. He, he, he'll have no he'll have no part of it. I also want to distinguish that Yahweh does not care about flesh and blood. If you are a son of the seed versus a son of the flesh, he'll separate. He doesn't care if it's blood. Ishmael and Isaac are literal brothers. He doesn't care. Get rid of it. You know, the whole blood is thicker than water. Nope. So, uh, or yep, depending on how you want to look at that. But Yahweh does not, he's, he doesn't care about flesh and blood in, in that regard. He, he does, he's not caring. He doesn't care about that. He is saying no more when it comes time to the son of flesh versus the son of the seed. This also then brings up another added place of discipleship or dilemma for us. Up until this point, we've been really saying, if you attach to Avraham, you're good to go, right? I mean, that's been pretty much the concept. If, you know, um, through Yeshua, he's the door and he gives us access to the covenant. And that's why we can say that Avraham is our father. And if you are attached, just like Lot was attached to Avraham, salvation comes. Great. Now what? Ishmael is definitely attached to Avraham. Now he's saying you cannot just be attached to Abraham, but you have to be attached to his seed. The seed of promise, the seed of faith. You cannot just say I'm attached to Abraham, just like you can't say I'm attached to Yeshua and still live by the flesh. It does not work that way. This is his justice. Sorry. Thick line here. Drawing a line. Does that, does that make sense? It's not just for the sake of, well, I, I pled the blood of Yeshua or I pled the blood of Jesus. It, it, this goes back to everything I was saying before it, that we can't just say, I believe in him because that is not what revelation says. Revelations does not say all you need to do is speak of his name. That is not what it says. So you can't just say, I know his name. You cannot know his name and be the seed of the seed of the flesh. You cannot operate by the flesh. You have to be a new creation in Christ. You have to be 
um, of it. You have to be of that bloodline. You have to be of that seed line, not just Abraham, but of that seed line. So super significant for us in that place of discipleship. All right. Um, I do want to just uh, acknowledge that generationally it keeps continuing. So it mentions in this scripture that Ishmael ends up getting married to a, an Egyptian woman. So later on in the scriptures, uh, his mom finds him a wife and it's an Egyptian wife. And the reason for that is to point out how, how this is, the, let's go back to the, the teaching on trajectory. That trajectory keeps going. Because you always have a choice. We learned two Torah portions ago that the lineage of Ruth is from incest, Lot being with his daughters. That's the lineage of Ruth, which is the lineage of Yeshua. But we know from the scriptures that Ruth had to make a choice to leave her bloodline and cleave to Naomi. Or Ruth, do I have that backwards? The mom is Naomi. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Ruth had to make a decision. So, so, oh my gosh, there's so much in this. Here we have Ishmael continues to go further in this lifestyle by marrying an Egyptian woman. Because later on, we're going to find out that Isaac actually marries a relative of Avraham. So again, just to kind of, to see how this forward progresses. All right. So that's the justice side of Yahweh. I hope that I got my point across with all of that. So now I want to get to the point where, um, of his, uh, mercy and forgiveness. Let's see. All right. Oh, one more thing on the justice side. I thought it was interesting that Abraham gave him a little bit of water. You have the wealthiest man that could have given them cattle, donkeys, food, money. I mean, they could have been completely set up and he gives them a skin of water. My point in that is that the father is not like, like wealth. And the father, when he's casting something out, is not going to fund it. So I, I guess just part of his justice side is, you know, he could have taken care of Ishmael, but he didn't. It was cast him out and give him nothing. I mean, essentially, I'll have nothing to do with it to the point of death. Okay, that's the justice side. Now we're going to move into the mercy side because guess what? Ishmael didn't die. So... We have another aspect of the father, which brings me to my, my be the beginning of all this, that what Yahweh is doing is he's showing his perfect justice with his perfect mercy. And this is something that a lot of people on earth don't know how to do. They are all justice or they are all mercy. And both are not, you have to have both in balance. And Yahweh is showing this. He is very adamant. You will not mock my son. You are gone. Essentially dead to this bloodline, you have nothing, you need to go, okay? Then we move forward into this beautiful part of the story where 
um, uh, sorry. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I didn't even talk about that. I just saw the word tainted. It's just so good with his justice. He does not want his house tainted. And that is his justice. I will not taint my house. There's so much in that. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say that. Okay. I'm going to get to his kindness. Um, God, even in his justice, did not restrain from his kindness and mercy. And we acknowledge this, that at the end of the day, and we, and we see this in Romans, God did not ordain Ishmael to be the seed. That's just, that, that wasn't in his sovereign plan. And in his justice, he's teaching us something. But in his goodness, he still has a plan for the Arab nation. So Yahweh uh, sustains Hagar and Ishmael. He reveals himself to them. He gives them water. He opens their eyes to see what otherwise they couldn't see. His, his eternal choice of Isaac still stands. His eternal choice still stands. And yet, and this is super powerful. Isaac is only a year old. Isaac has not won covenant status by his deeds, which means Ishmael and Hagar didn't lose it because of theirs. This all has to do with his sovereignty and his, and his plan and what we do with that plan, which takes me to what I was saying about Ruth. So I'm going to say that again. Isaac has not won covenant status by his deeds. And Ishmael and Hagar didn't lose it because of theirs. If anything, they were innocent victims of Avraham. Hagar didn't do anything. And Ishmael certainly didn't do anything. Other than Yahweh teaching us, you better not mock, right? Like I'm not saying Ishmael didn't do anything. I mean, the word over Ishmael's life was you will fight your brother. You will be at odds. I mean, that, I mean when you've got a prophetic word over your life, it's going to play itself out. So I'm not saying Ishmael's just completely innocent, but I am saying that Ishmael in this whole thing was just burst. He, so his, so Yahweh's sovereign plan doesn't change, but he still shows mercy to this bloodline by sustaining them, revealing himself, giving them water, opening up their eyes. It, it, I mean, this is amazing. Um, and, and I, and I bring, I bring this up because we need to remember that covenant membership is a matter of God's sovereign choice. It's not by our actions. However, when I say that because of his sovereignty and because of his goodness and because of his choice first, what does the scripture say? You couldn't love unless he first loved you because he chose your actions will line up with his plan. It's not a free pass to not have action, but you need to know that it's not by your actions that give you covenant promise, that, that give you covenant status. It's by his choice. But because of his choice, we need to walk in his plan. Okay, so um, uh, let's see. How do I want to talk about this? 
and 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 it, yeah when i talk a little bit about there is their innocence i just wanted to point out that hagar is powerless female she's a powerless female uh she has no personal prerogative ishmael's young and yet yahweh's justice says you need to go but in his mercy he reveals himself gives a word and lets them live i think that that is just amazing. And uh, one of the things I really wanted to point out was I thought that what was so awesome, even for us, when we, when our flesh gets cast out and we're like crying out because we're about to die, he opens up our eyes and says, the well is right there. That well didn't just appear. That well was always there. They couldn't see it. They were blind to his provision. Let me see if I can read that scripture. She abandoned the child, then God heard the boy's voice, uh, get up. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the water skin and gave that boy a drink. So look at the progression here. It's like cast out, despair, thinking you're going to die. I mean, I don't know if anybody relates to this. You're like at the end of yourself. Yahweh then uh, basically um, says, well, <laughs> what troubles you? I just feel like he's like, what troubles you, Tanya? Don't be afraid. God has heard your sons. Get up. Lift them up. Hold on to them with your hand, for I will make them a great nation. Then... He opens her eyes and sees water. To me, that's showing responding to a word has to happen before you see the provision of the word. So again, going back to what we were talking about with Megan releasing, the response to the word, get up, hold on to the next generation with your hands. Respond to the word then your eyes will be open and the water is right there. The supply is right there. I think that's super powerful. Now I'm not preaching that we're supposed to be Hagar and we're supposed to be Ishmael and we're supposed to operate in our flesh. We still need to be back in the house dealing with what's going on with Isaac, right? Like I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, take every portion of the word. Should you find yourself completely reliant on yourself, when you've got those moments where you have completely not relied on his promise and you've only relied on yourself and he's saying, get out of here. And you're still like, okay. And you get cast out in those moments. Let him be so bold to be like, what are you, what's your problem? I don't know. I'm just over here dying. I, I, I've, I my, my kids are, we have no water. Hello. And he's like, and what's your point? <laughs> I feel like I was like, and <laughs> get up, hold on to him. He's going to be a great nation. And then there, their eyes are opened. Again, mercy, forgiveness, meets them, reveals himself to, to, to them. And anyways, is that, I hope that that's all. I want this to be relative, but I also want this to make sense because obviously I'm not preaching that we're supposed to be sons of flesh and go marry Egyptians and meaning leave the covenant and become the Arab nation and be against Yahweh. <laughs> like, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying when you've got those moments of pure flesh, he's still going to meet you. 
is what I'm saying. When you've got those moments of flesh and you've been completely cast out and you think you're going to die, that's literally when he says, and you're going to be a great nation. So can you get up? So he still releases a blessing and a promise over Ishmael. It's just that in his sovereignty, that blessing happens to be what he originally said, which is you're going to be at odds. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because he's not done with the Arab nation. There's because we have to remember that when we when we studied Ishmael, a lot of that had to do with us as Gentiles and only by the spirit through Yeshua are we able to say that we get to hop hop fence. Only through Yeshua can I say I was once an Ishmael and now I can be an Isaac. I mean, that's literally the reality of the gospel. When Yeshua says you are a new creation, it means hop the fence. It means switch bloodlines. It means jump over, cross over. It, it means you were once seed of son of the flesh, die with me, rise with me, and now you are a son of the seed. It's all by the spirit. It's all supernatural. So understanding the fullness of these Torah portions will get us to understand the fullness of the gospel when Yeshua steps on the scene, what he did. Because all, can I put it this way? As a Gentile, you're all Ishmael. I mean, you have to hear that in the spirit. Because there's multi-generations, you know, once we get to the tribes and all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not being, I'm not being literal, but I'm just saying, by Gentiles, you're all sons of the flesh. That's what he came for. And through Yeshua, you have the ability to be like, I came from the right bloodline. I mean, that's how real it is. Not just like, I have no idea where I came from. And then Yeshua came and now I'm from his bloodline. No, literally. Before Yeshua, there was two bloodlines. Ishmael, Isaac. It comes down to two, just like it came down to Adam and Eve, right? Just, just like it came down to Cain and Abel. It's the same thing. It, it's understanding that our heritage prior to Yeshua gave us a destiny. It should show us his mercy and his goodness that through his son gave us access that we get to choose and rise in, in the proper bloodline. Like for literal, because Yeshua came from that bloodline. Like it means something. It's not a lofty, well, because of his blood. No, literally his blood came from that bloodline. Gosh, I wish we were in person so I could like see if you guys are like catching this or if I'm on track, or how you guys are doing. Um, okay, so there's his, there's his mercy and justice. I just wanted to, to talk about that. Um, let me go in a little bit, a uh, little bit more. Um, no, maybe not. I think that that might be it on his mercy and his, and his goodness. That even though he said they needed to leave, he still gave them a word sustained them, revealed himself to, to, to them and, um, and gave them water, gave them provision. And then, like I said, it moves on and then they choose to, uh, marry. She finds, you know, obviously who's your mother? Well, she's an Egyptian. She found him an Egyptian wife. So it continues. The bloodline continues. Okay. I'm going to start another box and we are going to line out. I want to get into Yeshua and how it lines up with Isaac. And then I'm just going to touch on a little bit of the covenant that, um, that, uh, that the end of the chapter begins to talk about. I think I'm actually going to switch it up and just go in order. So I'm going to talk about the covenant of Abimelech and Abraham, Abraham for just a little bit. And then I will just point out some things with Yeshua and then we should be done. <laughs> Sorry. I'm pretty, this is why it's good to meet in person because I have a timeline. If I'm just at home and unboxing, I can do this all day long. 
Okay. Um, with the covenant, um, I just want to give some context to a couple things. One, I want to make sure structurally that we understand that Avraham may not have been meeting with the actual Abimelech from the previous chapter or the previous chapters. And the reason why I say that is because Abimelech actually is a general title. It means my father is king. That's what it means. But it also was used over and over and over again in that culture for anybody who was a king over a place. So we don't know if Avraham actually was meeting with the Abimelech that was in the other chapters or if it was just the king at, you know, the king of that area who came uh, with, what was his name? Philo? I feel like his name was, or Fical? Fecal? Oh my gosh, Fecal? <laughs> oh, I don't know if that means anything to anyone, but I just wanted to point that out. Um, it's a generic title. It's any, it's any ruler over the Canaanites, essentially, is, an, is, is Abimelech. My king is my father. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, a couple things I want to point out with this that I think is super interesting is that um, uh, the covenant promises to Abraham did not exempt him from a struggle. I mean, that's probably one of the biggest things that I got from all of this is that here you've got this random story. I mean, here you've got the birth of Isaac at hand. And he's talking about fighting over a watering well. And not, and not fighting, but irritated. Somebody took over the well that he dug and he's like, hey, that's mine. That's what we're dealing with. In the midst of the promise, we're dealing with a watering well. And it's like a territorial thing. To me, that's just showing that you are not exempt from the world. You're not exempt from struggles. You're not, I mean, you could be in the middle of the greatest promise of your life. <laughs> Better yet, the greatest promise of the whole nation and all the nations to come. And you're dealing with a watering well. I'm pretty sure the brewers can handle, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure we could not handle, but I, I mean, we, I'm pretty sure we can relate is what I'm trying to say. You are in the middle of the greatest promise you, you just had a feast weaning your, your, uh, the, the, the birth of the seed for all of the, the, the savior is going to come from. We got to deal with a watering well. I just want to encourage us. The circumstances of life and the things that we deal with is not an indicator of whether or not you have an Ishmael or an Isaac. You could have literal. think about this. Not only does this come up, gosh, I swear so much. I get so much when I release. I, I, I encourage you guys to act like you have to preach because I studied this all week long and half the stuff that's coming out of my mouth, I didn't get when I was studying. I'm getting it as I'm, as I'm releasing it. This is crazy. Think about the chapter structure. The promise has come. The greatest promise of your life, 25 years you've waited for the promise. It comes, it's here. You are feasting over this promise. You also have accomplished in casting out your flesh. You have completely gotten rid of the thing that is bucking up against the promise. So not only do you have the promise, you're, you, you've gotten rid of what bucks up against the promise and you have a stinking watering well issue. The well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized and Abimelech's like, I didn't, I didn't know that was going on. Yeah, this has been going on underneath your nose. 
They're seizing my water well. I'm the, I'm the one that built this. That, that's, that's in my territory. Wait, I mean, seriously? And, and what's so crazy is if you look at the structure of the chapter, I think that there's more scriptures with this pledge between Abimelech and Avraham than there is on Ishmael and Isaac. To me, that just goes to show your promise can be right here and you can be completely successful dealing, dealing with the flesh. And you still have to deal with the stinking watering well. Am I, am I reading that wrong? Like, I feel like, and, and in fact, um, anyways, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I, 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 I just think that that's super significant. So, <laughs> um, I'll just leave that there. Um, he, he still has enemies. There's still con there like there's still um not consequences but there's still um struggles like there's still um not not consequences what's the word I'm thinking of there's still um circumstances there's still circumstances he still has enemies and I wanted to also point out that. the other part of this that's happening is remember last chapter when Abraham said, well, I mean, I had to say she was my sister because I've been subject to being a sojourner to all of, you know, Yahweh made me leave. And so I've been wandering around with no protection. What's happening here in his pledge is he's being reckoned with the region. The region is beginning to acknowledge you are blessed. Yahweh is with you. Will you pledge to me? Like essentially the, the king of this area is saying God is with you in all that you do. So now make a pledge to me here by God that you will not violate your word with me and my descendants and offspring. This Abimelech and these people knew what, what kind of power he had. I mean, remember Yahweh had closed up all of their wombs. So, I mean, just by that alone, they know that Yahweh is going to back him up. And so they're basically saying, don't come against us because we know that we'll lose. Um, As I have shown you loyalty to you, show the same to me in the land in which you've lived as an outsider. It's basically saying you've been an outsider, but if we make a, a covenant, you will no longer be an outsider. And so, um, so anyways, I just wanted to point that out. Um. that even though Avraham has enemies and even though he has to deal with those circumstances and the struggles, he's not void of those struggles. Yahweh's with him and giving him favor and giving him backing so that he won't feel like a foreigner in a territory. So think about being sent to the earth. Think about, mm, I don't know if I want to go down that road, but I, I think about being a foreigner and then being reckoned to the region in the sense of you're so acknowledged by the world that Yahweh is with you and the world bows down and says, please let me serve you. Don't come against me. Could you imagine walking to that degree? 
walking so much so that you know where you came from you know who your father is and the world begins to say i know i now know who your father is and i don't want to mess with you will you pledge to me don't be a foreigner and i'm not saying that that means that we're supposed to be not a foreigner to the world i'm just saying that the world would submit to yahweh because we would not walk as foreigners because we know the backing that we have if if that if that makes more sense so um which is why this area is so important and that's why it's called beersheba because there's there are so many bible stories that are going to be coming out of this place remember when i said oaks of mamre pay attention to that there's a lot of things that happen there this is another one beersheba there is a lot that happens here in in this place and beersheba means well of oath taking it's you know it's where it's where we make our oaths it also means watering place so he's basically using this place that god uh, is going to give Abraham success with his neighbors in this land of promise. So as we search out the promised land and we're here on earth, know that on earth, he is going to set us up for success with our neighbors, which is what I'm talking about with the world, so that he can um, plant us in the land of promise. Okay. This is super important and I'm not gonna get into it, but I am gonna point you on how to get into it if you want to. The next thing that happens is, and Avraham planted a, a tamarisk tree at Beersheba and there he called the name of Adonai, the God of eternity or the God of everlasting. Tamarisk tree is the evergreen tree. If you remember from our history, appeal to heaven is a big deal and it's a big part of our history. And um, Dutch Sheets has a huge teaching on the tamarisk tree and the evergreen tree and a dream that he had and what, what the God of everlasting means. I'm not going to teach on it, but you can search that out. And it is this scripture that he gets that whole revelation from. So there is a plethora that could be preached on when he plants something. And it's an evergreen tree. You guys know that evergreen trees are very personal to us and the words that Yahweh has given us because of us being in Flagstaff. But he plants an evergreen tree and calls out to the God of eternity or the everlasting God. Again, we see another name. Another name of Yahweh is being released over us. If we could just go through the Torah portions and pick out all of the names that he releases to us, we would get wrecked on just studying those names. There's so much in all of this. Okay. A couple things I do want to talk about the tamarisk tree. Um, it stood as a constant reminder to Abraham of how good is, um, of how God is true to his word. And that is, um, that's kind of the, you know, the sum of this whole Torah portion is when I started all of this, just as he said, just as he had spoken, Abraham responded just as he had commanded, um, that he is true to his word. Uh, our existence in this time is the direct proof that God keeps his word. We're only here because he kept his word. We're literally studying this Torah portion because he kept his word. That's what that tree means. That's what the evergreen means. Um, it, it's a reminder of that. The other thing is, is that um, it is, it takes a long time to grow an evergreen tree. To me, he was making the decision in the midst of that pledge. I'm in it for the long haul. 
I'm in it for the generations. I'm going to plant something that I will not seek the shade of, but the generations to come will seek the shade of. Uh, definitely a very powerful statement. Okay. I think that that is it. And then I'm going to just list out some of the things I wanted to pull out in um, how Isaac points us to Yeshua. And then I think we're going to be done. And remember, Isaac points to many births. Um, our, uh, the half Torah portion actually talks about Hannah. And so you, you can see the, um, the, the similarities between Hannah and Sarah. They both struggled with the inability to conceive. Um, Adonai visited both of them. I mean, literally it says Adonai visited. They had direct and gracious intervention of God. And then, um, so, so if you want, I'm bringing this up because if you want more study on some of the ties to Isaac, then you can be pointed to Hannah. And then, um, of course, Isaac also points us to um, a foreshadowing of the birth of Yeshua. So I'm just going to point out a couple of things about uh, pointing us to Yeshua, and then we'll be done. I think that this will be kind of quick. Um, but obviously, Isaac is a foreshadowing of the birth of our Messiah. Um, Isaac is the son of promise. So is Yeshua. Yeshua is the one promised by the prophets of the coming one. Um, just as Isaac was born to Sarah at a time in her life when it was impossible, meaning from like human standpoint, it couldn't happen. It was uh, impossible for her to conceive. We also know that Miriam, the mother of Yeshua, conceived in a manner entirely out of the realm of human possibility. So you have Sarah that it's impossible to conceive. And you have Miriam, Mary is, is Miriam is her uh, Hebrew name. Mary was, um, uh, was not, had not been with a man. So it was impossible for her to conceive. So you've got both of those situations showing that this is completely and utterly outside of human nature and is completely miraculous. So those two things are super powerful. Um, I did want to talk about something and I'm trying to think if I want to get into that. Yes, I am going to talk about the miracle. Um, Luke, I don't know if you guys think about this or remember this or knew this, but Luke, the gospel, Luke, um, Luke, the author, the disciple, he is a physician. So if anybody is going to look at this whole birth thing from a physician's perspective, I would think he would not say, Luke 1, 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of most high will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy child shall be called the son of God. Like, think about this. I mean, you guys, it's super important for us to understand the authors of these things and understanding who's saying this stuff because Luke is a physician. Physicians don't say that unless he's really trying to highlight this was an absolute miracle. So I just wanted to, I mean, I didn't really want to teach on that, but I did want to, I did want to throw that out. Um, uh, okay. Sorry, I'm just reading something really quick. 
Okay. Um, the other thing to point out is Midium and Sarah, how they responded. Remember, Sarah was like, what? How can this be? And laughs like a couple times. Well, what did Miriam do? She did, she did the same thing. How can this be? I'm a virgin. Remember, she was like, no. So again, kind of just those parallels within Torah to understanding what we're seeing when, when the Messiah comes on the scene. Okay. Um, yes, I do want to get into that. Okay. So a couple of things that, that, I mean, I've already said a couple things of how they're related, but I'm just going to kind of list them out. So they were both promised sons. There was both a miraculous conception. They both were birthed after a delay. Super important. Both moms were visited. Both moms had doubt. Both moms were assured. Both of their names have rich meaning. Both were birthed at appointed times or on a festival. And they both had, um, they both brought great joy. Okay. That is it as far as Isaac pointing us to the direction of the Messiah. I want to hone in on a little bit of the miraculous side. Um, oh, do I want to do, I feel like I've been talking forever. Um, yeah, never mind. I think, I think I'm going to stop. I was just going to talk a little bit. I mean, it, just so you guys know, so I'm not being weird. I just, I was going to talk a little bit about the deity of Yeshua and who he is. And, um, I, I mean, I, I guess I'll just touch on it a little bit. I started off this Torah portion, Torah portion saying that Yahweh is going to re, uh, reveal his justice and his mercy. There's something about this this two sides to him thing, because when I, when I, when I think about Yeshua, we have to acknowledge that he was fully human and fully God. So the virginal conception of the Messiah is absolutely foundational to our faith. And it is the very thing that is mocked by unbelievers. It's also the very thing that gets reiterated in multiple different belief systems. So like the Greek mytho like Greek mythology has, you know, you know, the son of God and Zeus and a mortal woman and, and kind of has these concepts of spiritual de deities being with humans. And, and so, so you see the enemy kind of twist the reality. And so there's this, there's this huge part of, of, of the Messiah that, um, that I, that I love to hone in on when we talk about the miraculousness of birth, just like Isaac being, I mean, Abraham being a hundred. And so, um, and, and how foundational it is to our faith because, and this is kind of a side teaching. This isn't really necessarily with the Torah portions. I just want to, I just want to bring this about a little bit. Um, Yeshua is distinct from all other people. Um, Yeshua is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And when you study Isaiah's prophecy about Emmanuel, which means God with us, 
you'll understand the fullness of, of who Yeshua is. So when Paul in Galatians, I'm trying to tie all this together. When Paul in Galatians is saying, whose mother are you from? Are you the son of flesh or the son of seed? We know that in our world, that battle is still going on today. That's not an old scripture. That's still going on today. So Paul can rightly say that he was born of a woman by, by which he means that Yeshua is human in every way. But in the mystery of incarnation, full humanity, as well as the fullness of deity resides in the person of Yeshua. So So we know that Yeshua is fully man, but we know that the fullness of his deity is within him. Now, what I'm what I what I want to point out is that because because I was very bold about it's because of Yeshua that you can jump ship. It's because of Yeshua that you can j- hop the fence, you can switch bloodlines. I want to explain why. And I know we know this, but I just I just want to point this I want to keep pointing this out all the time. Because he was fully human. Now, somebody who says that they were born fully human, what do you do when somebody says, well, everybody's born a sinner? If you're fully human, then you're naturally born as a sinner. Um, all people are born under the condemnation of sin and death, which was passed on from Adam. The truth is that a sinful nature is, is not integral to humanity. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that because we've heard this over and over and over again, that you are, you are born a sinner. But the truth is that sinful nature is not integral to humanity. Adam was fully human before the fall into sin. And I'm just going to kind of like lay that there. So because of Adam's fall, we are subject to sin. But if we go back to the original intent, it was never his intent that humanity would be birthed in sin. Because Adam did not have sin before the fall. So when Yeshua steps on the scene and is fully human in the original intent, he was not born with sin as a human. So we know that because of Adam, because of his sin, it was passed on to all of humanity. His disobedience was passed on to all of the offspring, right? Paul even talks about death spread to all men. Remember through one man, right? So we know that that it, because of Adam's sin, that we are born sinners. Paul talks about it all the time. By nature, children of wrath. We are all born sinners and therefore under the wrath of God. Okay, we know this. I'm, I'm trying to get us to understand the miraculous power so that it's not just some far off revelation. And we just remember, again, going back to the beginning when I said, can we put some time and energy and focus into understanding eternal things versus, okay, yeah, checklist, yeah. 
Jesus came for my, Jesus came and I can switch bloodlines. Okay, moving on, laundry time. The virginal conception of Yeshua isolates him from having any connection to Adam. None. From the standpoint of God's economy of justice, Yeshua was not born under the condemnation of Adam. He had to be birthed through a virgin, uh, a virginal birth. I was going to say vaginal birth. He had to be birthed through a virginal birth because Yahweh knows his economy and needed to take him out of being subject to being human in that way. He's fully human, full of his deity, and came through a miraculous nature so that the original intent could be manifest that he is man prior to the fall. Um, he, Yeshua, then does not have any requirement to make payment for the sin of Adam because he doesn't carry it. He's literally spotless. Therefore, able to give himself as a sacrifice. For us who do bear that guilt of Adam. I know we know this. It's just the gospel. <laughs> but just as he has said, just as he has spoken, and I will do just as he has commanded, that we would understand what the spotless lamb did and who he, who he was when he came on the earth in that miraculous birth. And Isaac is a foreshadow of, of the Messiah that was to come at that time, who is now here pointing us back to the Torah for us to understand the fullness and for us to walk in who we are to, we are to walk in. Really quickly, I forgot when I was going over mercy and forgiveness, I talked about the son of flesh being cast out. And there's a part in there where it says that Hagar wept. Right? She went a bow shot away, couldn't stand the thought of watching her son die. So she leaves a little bit away and weeps. And in that weeping, the angel of Yahweh says, I've heard. Now, I'm not getting into the whole, I, I'm not necessarily getting into the teaching of he heard her son cry, which just one dynamic that a mother's weeping transcends generations. She weeps, he hears the son cry. But, not but, and may we be a people that would weep over a dying generation so that they may be heard. That Yahweh didn't choose this bloodline, but he is not against that bloodline. That bloodline does choose to go against him, but his nature is he is not against them. And he shows up for them. But I wanted to point out Hagar, who weeps over her son, and he hears them. 
and that it would just point to us that we would be someone that would weep over a generation so that he can hear them. Okay, I am absolutely pushing the button because I have a heart to respond to everything that's been released. And at the same time, I feel very much like I have after a Torah portion teaching before where I will say, I don't, I don't know that I have words. I have never, I, I, I guess, I guess what's, what's coming from my heart first in response is This is everything we've always had access to. It took me a moment after I finished receiving the teaching to gather my gather myself to be able to even voice a response because I feel I feel overwhelmed in both ways, gratitude and kind of shock combined with a little bit of grief, (laughs) but, but the, but the, but the gratitude is, is overwhelming the grief. Um, in the sense of like what I said, it, we've, have we, we've always had access to this. I've never, these, these Torah portions, has anyone ever read the, the word like this? Like to be in a place where it's such a transaction. Uh, so I wanted to, I wanted to just respond with kind of like, kind of like what I do at service with a closing, but I wanted to just pull a couple things from mom's teaching that I'm hearing that I'm going to activate right away. So there are many things. There were even specific assignments that we were given, specific direction. And there were also invitations in the spirit. And one of those was, who is mothering you? You guys. Yahweh is so faithful. I mean, so much of his character was revealed in this Torah portion. His justice, his mercy, his forgiveness, his intentionality. And that character has been washed completely over this family. 
in everything that Yahweh has released to, to drag us from a place and set us in a place. And there have been a couple of positionings in our last, gosh, I don't, I don't remember actually when these specific ones were, but that sounded a lot like this, but was never specific to mothering. And I think that that is very significant. So I'm going to make those connections really quickly. So one of the things that mom just released in this Torah portion was speaking to they're the same father, different mothers, right? And that that matters. The spirit or helper that something is birthed from matters. What is, who is mothering you? Okay, so two things that feel similar in the past. Yahweh asked us, whose table are you sitting at? Do you guys remember that? Then another question later, which this was, gosh, maybe someone can help me with the timeline, but I know that this was after. So first came, whose table are you eating at? Then another prompt was, who is fathering you? Who has been fathering you? And that was to get us to a place of being able to identify the false father. This is when the greatest lie is being exposed. And we have been fathered by this voice, right? So all, all of that was taking place. And we had to start walking out a process of being able to identify the father because he wasn't given permission to raise us, to father us. But we gave permission to all of these false fathers. So we didn't even know the sound of his voice. And now we're in a season where we are activating what the father is saying because we can recognize his voice. And Yahweh gives us a Torah portion where there's a question of now who's mothering you? Mothering truth raising like there, there there's 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 so there's there are some pretty big transactions taking place and that are available to us right now so i want to make that connection now um the other thing that i wanted to um just uh share um, in hearing mom teach is towards the end of the Torah portion, but uh, teaching before she went into the connection between Isaac and Yeshua, she um, was speaking to our, um, our heritage. And um, that our heritage gave us our destiny. That it is his grace and his mercy when she's talking about his mercy and his forgiveness, that um, will help us, that literally enables us to be raised in a bloodline, right? Our heritage gave us our destiny. And that is the very heritage that we have not accessed because we were stuck 
in a narrative that dismissed that heritage altogether, only receiving the aspect of that heritage that afforded us something. When in reality, mom is calling that out as only a half truth because that's actually the door to your heritage. Right? So, so I just, I just wanted to say, or I just wanted to speak that when it comes to that word, that is us being inserted into his story. When it talks about our heritage, giving us our destiny, we are being restored back to our heritage, which literally has always been our destiny, but is literally our destiny as the transitionary generation to to restore generations to come back into the heritage that that Yeshua gives us access to, to be raised in the bloodline. Here we are talking about, it's like we've come full circle when it comes to being able to understand the fullness of a bloodline. I just thought that that was such a powerful teaching. I mean, there is so much. I literally have one, two, three, four, five, I have five and a half pages of notes. So that is not a all-encompassing kind of like response to mom to your teaching. But I just wanted to um, just kind of synergize since we're not together um, physically. I just wanted to synergize with everything that you just dispensed, with everything that you just taught on. Um, so so that we can um, make sure that we are activating this word and responding fully to this word just like we were if we were in service so i just wanted to share those couple of thoughts and thank you mom for um for every moment that you spent studying for the way that you will dive in um i i i, I want to learn how to like when you were saying like can study like you have to teach it i want to learn how to how to dive so deep that i can make like i can give the spirit permission to make found, even foundational like what you ended with about his miraculous power i literally my my mouth fell open and probably was open for about 5 minutes I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess I knew that <laughs> when you're like, I mean, we know this, this is the basic gospel. I'm like, that, that has never, his miraculous birth isolates him from having any connection. Like he couldn't be subject to the sin of Adam. I, anyways, I, I want, I want to understand it that way. I want to, um, like the way that you can out of your hunger and your heart of submission to him in your life that you make even what would be considered like foundational the foundation of gospel to come so alive in ways that are, are completely um new so anyways i just wanted to share those couple things hey family wow it's like crazy powerful to be just hearing what is being dispensed um just through these tour readings how how simplistic how easily i have read over as like a checklist these exact verses in the past and yet to hear the fullness 
uh, of his character within them is just a, this is just like a, it's a powerful thing, but it so defines our family. And, And I just wanted to jump on here for a few reasons. One, at the beginning, when mom had just shared the, the part about some, like, even Jesus Christ could be the halfway truth because he's only half and to see that an entire religion could have been like founded on just that and completely miss the other half and that oh it's just good enough uh the like mom scale of one to ten and well we're at a five at least we're not a one and settling for a half truth is a whole lie and knowing that our family is characterized by ones who look at the five to 10 and like, how do I get to 10? What do I need to know? What do I need to rid myself of or press into or dig deeper or like how that is so different than the norm. And and it's just a, humbling but powerful thing to be part of such a a family as that and just knowing that i mean this is a family that honors this is a family that uh ends well like we're we're known not just for for starting a thing but we're finishers and uh that we will work down to the root that we don't dismiss ourselves like that positioning that megan had put us in of not removing ourselves from the yucky or from the story or from the like there's no dismissal that there is something in everything for me because I yearn to grow. I yearn to be his representative, to be his ambassador. And so how powerful is it to hear just in these, like every Torah reading building, it's crazy how quickly that momentum is building. It feels like the, the depth or the realizing of, a lot of times people feel like there's no expectation. But no, there there is an expectation that like there's a purpose to us being here. And it's not just, oh, I, you know, committed my life and we're good now. This is a, a group of people looking or pursuing discipleship, pursuing to be pressed. And uh, it, it's just a, like... I was driving listening to this and I knew immediately I have to star all these because I have to sit down. This is too much to just let go to the wayside. Like this has, I have to write the notes down of it. I have to press into it. There's too much dispense that is gold. Uh, And on the flip side, being that we are a family that continuously pours in honors values and is obedient uh just as a reminder even though we didn't have service regardless of service that this is a family that is faithful when no one's looking when nobody's doing anything and that we would be ones that look to tithe when we didn't meet or look to prepare in in gratitude even though the physical meeting wasn't there, but I honestly feel like just you cannot listen to these boxes and not feel there with mom, there with Megan, there with like with our family. And it's a it's a powerful thing. I did want to 
mention that next Friday is our First Fruits Friday. And it is a moment, just as a reminder, that it is a time that we prepare the best of our earnings or of our harvest or of our of what we have toiled over in honor of what he provides. And, and that it's a moment for us to take this week as we're studying that keep that in, in your the back of your mind. What is the best of not just like, oh, how much can I spare, but a what is the best of because I am grateful for and to know that these other things that are coming to us are life changing. These are complete realignment. Uh, I mean, I call them gold nuggets, but uh, just nuggets of wisdom that change the entire course of how we live. It changes how I see him. And some say they see Old Testament as, well, technically original, but like they see it as harsh or mean or cruel. And it is nothing but grace and love and power and redemption and protection. And it, it's just mind boggling how there is no the more we're reading in this, I see that there is not a gap. <laughs> These things are so, there's so much that parallels. Uh, and meaning, if we dismiss uh, what people would call Old Testament, we dismiss half of his truth. Therefore, we believe a full lie. And so, uh, just want to jump up here and remind us, Next Friday, that we would be spending time this week finding the number of our best to bring. Uh, and also that this week, uh, text to give, we can, we can still honor the house uh, and, and pour into the house and pour into kingdom from, from our, even though we're not meeting. And, and that's the, in a sense, that's a huge, like, it's powerful to see that the safety of the family is of greater concern than anything. And, and it's a, it, it's definitely something to honor, something worth uh, paying incredible heed to, because I like, even through the Vox, mom said, I hate this, not being able to meet in person. And, and, and I agree, like there is a, there is something different when we're there together, but, let this not be different in in the way we give, in the way we dig in, in the way we took our notes, in the way we apply it through this week, in the way that we press ourselves, in the way that we don't dismiss ourselves, that we put ourselves into the picture. And man, just a tomorrow morning, I know what my secret time will be spent doing. And it'll be like this is they, these are the kind of things like when you're dispensed something that is so life changing, there's there is such a need to put it to action immediately. Uh, even if you don't know what that completely looks like, the one step forward will show you what the next step is. And uh, just love everyone. Miss everyone. And so excited to see everybody this next Friday. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. 
If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomairsflag.org. Thank you.